Welcome and thanks for tuning in. While you listen to this podcast and think about the topics that we'll explore, remember, the areas you're moving into are always most important. Plan well and move to protect others and yourself. That's how you deliver flawless service and move America safely. So enjoy life and enjoy this podcast. to another episode of Keeping It Real. I'm Michael, and today I have Jason giving me a hand today. Today we got a very special guest, Miss Laura Cyrus. Well, Jason, now let's get into the conversation. Sex trafficking. It's a problem in America that's growing every day. Sex trafficking, or forced prostitution, is one of the fastest growing criminal enterprises in the world, and it affects millions globally. What people don't realize, though, is that sex trafficking isn't just limited to a third world country. It happens in America. It happens in your home state. It happens in your neighborhood. As the eyes and ears of our nation's highways, and with a membership of 7 million strong, the trucking industry has the opportunity to combat this injustice head on. Truckers Against Trafficking, TAT, equips the industry with a response. Through our partnerships with law enforcement across the nation, our grassroots approach in saturating the industry with our training materials, and our ability to marshal resources, TAT empowers trucking to close loopholes to traffickers who exploit our nation's highways. As a result, truckers are now one of the most motivated and well-organized industry groups on this issue and their reports have led to countless arrests and recoveries of victims across the country. The trucking industry is driving change in this area, and you can too. For more information on how you can make a difference by partnering with us, be sure to visit us online. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself for the people out there that's not familiar with with TAT and, and yourself? So yes, I am with Truckers Against Trafficking. My name is Laura Cyrus. I am our Senior Director of Industry Training and Outreach. Um, and Truckers Against Trafficking is an international nonprofit organization that um, is educating, equipping, empowering, and mobilizing the trucking, bus, and energy industries to help combat human trafficking just as a part of their everyday jobs. So we provide industry-specific training materials for all of those um, industries that we serve, in, including law enforcement, um, and we provide those resources free of charge so that folks on the front lines, like drivers, um, can recognize red flags, they, they know what to look for, what to do, and then hopefully um, can help recover victims or, or make calls to um, either local police or the national hotline um, that can help recover victims out of human trafficking situations. How long have you been in this industry? I have been with TAT um, for just over nine years. Mm -hmm. um, I started out actually as an intern um, mm -hmm. when I was doing a master's um, a master's degree in international human rights and forced labor and human trafficking. Um, I saw an internship posting um, while I was in grad school and applied. And at the time it was just the executive director um, 
who was the only full-time employee. And so I, I came on part-time and um, continued on sort of as part-time job, even before I graduated from my, um, my program and then came on full-time after that. So, um, so you, you must've enjoyed it pretty good, found it very, uh, fulfilling. Yes, absolutely. It's, um, you know, it's, it's a calling for sure. It's, it's a, a work and a sort of a job. I use that term loosely, but it's a, it's a calling and a passion, um, mm -hmm. really to help in any way that I can. I wasn't sure initially before I ever knew about TAT, I, I wasn't sure what my role in sort of this anti-trafficking realm would look like. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is, it's just really fulfilling to be a part of an organization that is so mission focused. That's one thing about TAT that I love, I think the most is that we're doing all these things, we're serving all these industries, we're working in Canada, we've replicated our model in Mexico, you know, we're cross borders, cross modes, all of these things, but, but central to our work is just staying focused and um, really serving the, the people that we work with and not, uh, you know, people talk about mission drift or mission creep a lot of times where, you know, you get passionate folks, especially in anti-trafficking that just, we, we all want to save the world, right? We all want to do something that, that really helps people at the end yeah. of the day. And so when you are that driven and that passionate, whether it's about anti-trafficking or anything else, mm -hmm. a lot of times you just want to do all the things. And the problem with that is then you just get spread so thin that you, you, you can't be excellent in the one thing that you really set out to do. And so to TAP's credit and our leaders and our team, we're very focused. And that I think is what makes it um, that's awesome. so that successful. Awesome. Yeah. And you say you were in, you branched off to Canada, Mexico, where else have you been at? Yeah. So right now we're just North American focused. Um, okay. We started out in the United States um, and, you know, worked for many, many years, just gaining um, partners and, uh, you know, working with state trucking associations in all 50 states and working with commercial motor vehicle enforcement um, in pretty much every every state in the, the, the lower 48. Um, and, you know, really from there started to think, okay, we have partners, we have trucking company partners that are operating in Mexico and in Canada. Um, how can we help, you know, branch this this work into those countries as well. And so we replicated our work with an organization in Mexico and TAT itself works in Canada. So our TAT Canada uh, team, as we call them, they're US based, um, but they are focused on the work up in Canada. Have you seen a, is it predominantly, I'm assuming when you say human trafficking, is it more geared toward the prostitution end of it? Or is it uh, uh, labor wise? What, what are you seeing a, a, a lot of? Yeah, so great question. We, um, we attempt to educate on both, although our primary focus is on sex trafficking, okay. right? And so just to, to make sure everybody listening is on the same page, um, when we're talking about uh, human tra trafficking, we're talking about force, fraud, and coercion. Um, mm -hmm. Anytime you have an individual that is um, controlled by someone else um, and, and that other person, that third party, that trafficker is making a profit off of that mm -hmm. victim's back, whether that is forced labor or forced sexual exploitation. Um, again, TAT uh, certainly tries to educate where we can on the forced labor issue. Um, mm -hmm. And that is a huge problem here in the United States, but our predominant focus is on sex trafficking. Okay. 
And what I know there's a lot of females in the prostitution for the trafficking. What about the males? Is, these, is there have you seen a rise in that number as well? Yeah, so we know that this crime um, is affecting victims, both men and women, boys and girls. Um, I think predominantly victims are women. Uh, we are seeing, though, boys and men, um, I think more and more, uh, more than we have in the past, I should say. Um, however, the, the focus is definitely still on women and girls. Are you getting this as far as children as well, as well I'm sure? Yes, unfortunately, um, you know, our partners at the national hotline um, in the last five years, it was about 40% of the calls that were made by truck drivers mm -hmm. were in relation to victims that were minors. So That's we terrible. know that this is a crime that is affecting kids and, and, you know, certainly it's affecting adults as well. Mm -hmm. There are many, many adult victims. And when you really start to, to peel back layers of the onion, you realize that most women, adult women that are in this mm -hmm. actually became victims when they were under 18. Right. Um, but we have to especially consider those that are most vulnerable among us. And that is our kids, whether it's right. boys or girls. This, that, that's, that's one thing, human trafficking. It really doesn't have a, a gender, uh, uh, what a color. It doesn't have any, it could be anybody, yep. right? Yep. And the same goes for the traffickers, right? There's, yeah. we like to say there's no racial, gender, or socioeconomic bounds when it comes to who could be the victim, but also who could be the trafficker. There are female traffickers, there are traffickers that are, um, you know, very well to do that you would never suspect. And then on the flip side of that, there's, you know, people that maybe they're not running some elaborate, you know, crime syndicate or ring or anything, but they're just trafficking one person or one or two people. Right. Um, and, you know, you might not suspect them either, but all colors, all socioeconomic statuses, mm -hmm. um, it really could be could be anyone. We, I was watching, uh, I, I think a few weeks ago, I was, I got in a little loop on YouTube and I happened, I was doing a little bit of research for this and, and I was dumbfounded that the, it was this one particular gentleman he was interviewing women that were on the street, I think over in Michigan, Detroit. And a couple of them had come from a really nice area, really nice family. Uh, you would not expect this. You know, you would think, you know, they have a good upbringing, have a mother and a father. Oh, they'll be fine. But they got hooked up with someone they thought that loved them. And next thing you know, it, they were tied into drugs. And then they were, you know, the, every almost every story was, I thought he loved me. And the next, yeah. you know, he was forcing me to do things I wouldn't, didn't want to do. Yep. And we have to consider, you know, when we talk about the vulnerabilities for trafficking, that's such a great point. Um, because personally, my my work at TAT, I'm working with um, shippers and manufacturers. I'm working with top 100 trucking companies and the executives and decision makers at those companies. And so I'm at these events, I'm at these conferences where it's all these business people or salespeople, right? Sort of well-to-do, what we would consider well-to-do folks. Um, and it is important to educate them that even their own children could be um could be victims of this crime it doesn't matter if you have a two-parent household and you're you know whatever going to church every sunday or whatever it is there are vulnerabilities and the thing that we have to remember especially is it's traffickers it's not the fault of these victims it's not the mm -hmm. fault of young people or adults even it's that these traffickers are master manipulators and they know how to win people's trust. They know how to, mm -hmm. to woo and groom their victims over the period of weeks or months. Maybe that's providing emotional support. Uh, maybe it's just, you know, showing interest, taking interest in a young person and uh, providing them with 
food or clothing, maybe they don't necessarily need those things, but they're trying to, to woo them. Then you consider all of the people that really do have vulnerabilities. Think about all the kids in the foster care system or those that have recently aged out of foster care. Think of, um, you know, people that might be experiencing abuse or neglect at home. Um, there's just any number of different vulnerabilities that these traffickers know how to exploit. And right, right over the period of, of some amount of time, they are winning the trust of that person. Um, and it, it doesn't start out as an exploitative relationship. Um, sometimes it does right away, but oftentimes it doesn't. Yeah. Another thing that I'd, I'd like to point out here, just so I don't forget it, is one of the myths that, that we're often trying to dispel is that all trafficking begins with kidnapping. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, a lot of people listening, maybe, maybe you guys as well, you've seen the movie Taken, yeah, right? And it's this very Hollywood um, mm -hmm. version of, of trafficking. Certainly it can happen that way. And we know maybe that's a bit dramatic, but we know of cases where it does begin with kidnapping, but mm -hmm. more often than not, a victim knows their trafficker, whether that's some kind of, uh, pre-existing um, dating, you know, romantic mm -hmm. relationship. If it's somebody that's maybe they've met online and that person has been chatting with them over the period of weeks or months, it could even be friend of a family member, friend of a friend. Unfortunately, in nearly 40% of the cases um, that involve child trafficking, there was some family member involvement to begin with. Wow. Um, so, you know, we really have to get away from thinking, um, you know, I don't know if, if you guys have seen this on your social media, you know, pages, but oftentimes it seems like every few months there's something going around on my community Facebook page. And it's like, oh, look out for the, you know, whatever huge grocery store at exit, whatever there's, there's traffickers that are following people around in the store and they're going to abduct your kids. I'm never going to tell people not to be observant because yeah, there's, there's weird people out there everywhere, right? There's, there, I mean, not, not to make light of it, but it's true. There's, there's yeah. creepy people everywhere. So right. please always, as my dad tells me, <laughs> keep your head on a swivel. Um, but the reality is that's not always how it happens. And right. if that's what we're thinking, if that's what our kids are thinking, oh, this is how trafficking happens. And so I don't need to be concerned about this person that I met online, or mm -hmm. I don't need to be concerned about my older brother's friend or whatever. Um, we're doing them a disservice because again, most of these victims are going to know their trafficker. Right. And I, mm -hmm. and I know nowadays, a lot of it, uh, has moved online, you know, like yes. the dating, the dating sites is a, a good one. I, I noticed that when I, like I said, when I was doing research on all of this, the dating sites used to, when I, I drove for a long time. So when I first used to, when I drove back, as they say in the day, you've seen it in the truck stops and everything. And now it's really got away from the truck stops. It's moved toward uh, social meeting, uh, social media. Uh, you know, like I think I remember what was the guy who got in trouble on Craigslist. He was picking up and was murdering women on there. Uh, so, I mean, it's really moved into uh, uh, online deal now. We are still seeing this at truck stops. Rest areas, hotels, motels, city streets, places of business. And that is really why mobilizing the, the transportation industry, truckers in particular, is so important because we recognized that through your sheer numbers, your extensive travels, and the nature of your jobs, you guys and, and ladies out there listening are eyes and ears for law enforcement, right? You are seeing things that 
the general population is not seeing. At any given time, there's more of you on the highway than there are law enforcement officers. Absolutely. And as yeah. one of my my trucker <sighs> friends, um, you know, put it to me like this. He's like, Laura, we are trained to see and read every sign as we're going down the highway, right? We're looking for signs, we're looking for information, safety information, you know, speed limits, all this, exits. Why, why wouldn't we be trained to see the signs of human trafficking? It just makes sense. And so um, we have been able to train over 1.3 million people with our information so far, um, but we know there are millions more that need mm -hmm. to see and understand this message as well to be a part of this work. What, what would be some good signs to for a person to look for? Yeah, so the two main red flags that we're asking anybody to look for, but especially drivers, anytime you see a minor that you believe is engaged in a commercial sex act or soliciting for commercial sex, um, minors are automatically victims of human trafficking if they're engaging in commercial sex, right? You cannot legally consent as a right. minor. Um, the second red flag is anytime you witness um, what you believe is someone under the control of a pimp, mm -hmm. regardless of the age or gender, not only of that victim, but also of that potential pimp or trafficker. Um, huge red flags call either the national hotline at 1-888-3737888 or 911 or local non-emergency right away to report what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, there are a number of other red flags. If you're, you know, if you're parked and you um, see, this is a common one, you see uh, an SUV or a van or something pull into the truck parking area and multiple women or girls, or again, it could be boys and men, but, but typically women or girls get out of that vehicle and start going truck to truck and knocking on, knocking on doors huge red flag. Um, does that person driving that vehicle, what do they look like? Are they staying on the premises? Sometimes these traffickers are involved in the bartering process. Sometimes they stay on the premises to keep track of what their victims are doing um, to make sure, you know, nobody tries to run away or get involved. Um, if you have the, the opportunity to speak with a potential victim, you can ask a few questions. Now, this is not Caveat being, you're not always going to be able to ask these questions. And even if you are, um, again, we have to think about the just the, the psychological state of these victims. They're not always going to self-identify as a victim. So they may not answer your questions in complete truth, but um, you can ask them, do you get to keep your own money? If not, who, who keeps your money? Do you have to make a quota every day? Um, you know, when was the last time you saw your family? Does your family know where you are? If not, why not? Um, are you in control of your own identification documents? Do you get to keep your driver's license or your, your visa or whatever it is? Um, oftentimes traffickers, right? They're withholding all of the legal, not only money, but the legal documents of their victim. Um, does the person seem confused about where they are um, or, you know, have any knowledge of the area in which they are. Traffickers are routinely moving their victims from place to place, and they're trying to keep them completely dependent on the trafficker for everything, food, shelter, information, money, communication, all of that, right? So if this person doesn't have access to, to those things themselves, that could be an indication that they are a victim. 
um, are there any kinds of branding on the body, specific tattooing on the body of that victim, um, such as barcodes or money signs or property of um, type of, of uh, tattooing? Sometimes you can't see that, you know, um, yeah. but if you can, do those things exist? Th those are red flags. Um, there's a, a number of different things. And, and one thing I would love to, to pitch while I'm, while I'm on with you guys, we have a fantastic mobile app. If you mm -hmm. just search truckers against trafficking on any app platform, whether it's iPhone or Android, uh, you can download our free app. And there are tons of our red flags. There's case studies. There's all kinds of information there that I would really encourage, especially all the listeners to check out. Um, you can watch our videos and listen to our podcast as well, but um, that's a great handy way. You know, we have these little wallet cards that we pass out that have the national hotline and, and information about trafficking, but those are easy to misplace. It's a lot harder to misplace your phone, right? <laughs> At least we hope. That. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So have That's you seen an, an uptick in this in the past, in the past several years? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So a lot of people, especially with COVID think, oh, mm -hmm. you know, with COVID it, it had to go down, right? Cause people mm -hmm. were in and the reality is it actually went up the national hotline. Um, saw an increase in calls. And when you think wow. about what the effects of COVID were, um, I mean, gosh, we could sit here all day and talk about the effects <laughs> of COVID, but when you think about how it impacted people's economic situation, um, it absolutely put a ton of people into more desperate economic um, instability than, than they were experiencing pre-COVID. And so that's the same with uh, victims of trafficking. You have, you have more people on the margins, you have more vulnerabilities, um, and you know more people were unfortunately in more desperate situations. The other thing that we saw, right? Our kids were online even more than they were pre-COVID. Not only were they online more, but they were unsupervised online even more than they already were. Um, and so traffickers, right, playing on all of these different things, uh, recognized that they could continue to use social media and different things to groom their victims. Um, they knew that there were more desperate people out there. So their opportunities to, again, um, swoop in and kind of fill those needs uh, mm -hmm. existed. And yeah, unfortunately, we just keep seeing it going up. Um, is there a particular area in the United States that it's uh, more prevalent than it is in other areas or is it just everywhere? It's, it is everywhere. Um, we know it's happening in all 50 states. We know there is no zip code, right? That mm -hmm. this, this place could, or this crime couldn't happen. I think, you know, you have to consider um, areas where there are greater population centers. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to see, you're going to yeah. see more of it. Okay. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not happening in rural small town America, um, because it is, and it can. That's right. Yeah. Right. I was going to ask that as well. The size of the city does not matter. They're right. there. They're there. Yep. Well, and you think about, I mean, again, obviously in, in large metropolitan areas, you're going to have more people on the margins and more people experiencing vulnerability, but those people exist. I mean, I, I live in a relatively small area. There's people in my community that are hurting, right? And that are vulnerable. And that's, again, where these traffickers are going to look to to try to find their victims. What about for as far as the uh, the the labor end of it? I noticed uh, recently you had the uh, semi truck that got stopped. They had a hundred illegal yeah. uh, illegal immigrants in the back of it, and they were almost dead. I mean, that happens all the time. 
Yeah. And that is such a great point to bring up. So two things I want to touch on. And one is the difference between smuggling and trafficking. Um, and so when we're out there speaking to audiences, really, no matter who they are, um, that's one distinction that, that we like to make, right? So we, we can think of smuggling as a crime against a country's immigration law and trafficking is that crime against a person. So in those cases, right, you're typically um, a person may pay uh, someone, a coyote or somebody to smuggle them into a country for whatever reason, whether they're fleeing economic instability or, uh, you know, harsh leadership or whatever, whatever their reason is, they're paying somebody to get them into a country where they don't have permission to be. Right. That is that is smuggling. However, what makes a person that's smuggled vulnerable? They typically don't speak the language. They're in a desperate situation, willing to flee their country without proper documentation. Um, they are pretty much completely dependent on that person that has brought them into that country. And so what you have is a perfect storm for those victims then to become victims of human trafficking. Um, until they are forced into, again, forced sexual exploitation or forced labor, those, those people are not human trafficking victims. They're absolutely smuggling uh, victims in that case. Um, but we see them, right, populating work in the agricultural field, in the construction sector, in the uh, garment or fast fashion and, um, you know, sweatshop type situations, um, nail salons, um, you know, forced panhandling. Um, and, and again, you don't have to be a foreign national. You don't have to be a smuggling victim to be a victim of, of labor trafficking, but this is where we see um, some of this playing. And it's actually a labor trafficking case that uh, initially really set me on my path to, to being passionate about anti-trafficking work. I was um, a, a junior at Michigan State University studying criminal justice, and I heard a missionary speak on human trafficking never heard about any of it in my coursework as a, as a criminal justice major. And I thought that that was very strange. Um, never heard anything about human trafficking until I heard this missionary speak. And she was talking about her work overseas, um, but she brought it back to the United States and referenced a case out of the state of California where there was a sweatshop in the LA area. And there were workers there, forced labor victims that were making garments. And one of the places that those garments were sold were major department stores in the United States. Wow. And I had just purchased two dresses from a major department store. Um, I don't know that they, you know, I don't right. think, I don't have any reason to believe they were, you know, from this particular case, but the point is, is it, it truly convicted me. And I thought, how have I never previously considered who made my clothing? who produced my coffee or my chocolate or the rubber in my tires, right? All of these industries, which we see globally, um, so many victims of forced labor being, being brought into parts of that supply chain. And it just like something clicked that night. And I was like, okay, I am no longer blissfully unaware, right? Of the, the horrors of this crime. I have to do something about it. Um, that doesn't mean we're all going to live a perfect life with, you know, absolutely zero, um, issues with our supply chain. And I can't guarantee all the clothes that I buy, you know, mm -hmm. unless we're all spinning our own wool and <laughs> cotton and things and making our own clothes. I don't think we'll ever really get right. completely away from that, but we as consumers, have have the ability to you know vote with our dollar and to to spend money on things that 
at least try to have mm -hmm. fair trade, right? Or supply chain transparency as best as possible. Um, and so that's, you know, another thing I would encourage listeners is just think like, oh, could I buy fair trade coffee? Or could I buy fair trade chocolate? Mm -hmm. um, even if it costs a little more, if, if that means, you know, I'm not participating in uh, somebody else being, being harmed um, by the production of these goods, um, where you can, I do think it makes a difference. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I know uh, I grew up in a small town in Georgia, and it's mostly farmland like it is here in Marshfield. And, you know, that so this could happen with with farming, like you said, a lot of it is agricultural. So this is really something that could happen in every small town. Yeah. Uh, and people are really in a desperate spot. You know, they yes. come from a bad area. And to them, a lot of times this is an improvement, even though it's not humane, it's an improvement from where they come from. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they're scared to say anything because yeah. they don't want to go back to where, where it was even worse, you know? Exactly. So. Yep. It's a perfect storm. We're all just so focused on right. our phones, on ourselves, on what's going on in our life that it seems like we rarely pop our head up and like, look around and, and say, gosh, you know, what am I seeing? What red flags might I be seeing? And mm -hmm. can I take 10 seconds and really focus and say, okay, wow, one red flag, maybe it's not human trafficking, but if you start to see two or three or four or something very apparent, um, be willing to make a call and it's okay to be wrong. That's the other thing I need to emphasize, especially when calling that national hotline you're going to call and you're going to speak with a trained operator who can help you sort of debrief that situation and walk through why or why not it may be trafficking. Um, there is no penalty for calling and being wrong. It's not like calling 911 where you're tying up a phone line if it's not really, you know, an emergency situation. Um, the hotline has told us we would rather people call and be wrong than not call and have that victim continue to endure a life of of forced labor yeah, or forced sex, yeah. right? Um, so be willing to make that call, be willing to be wrong. It, it can be hard sometimes to move from mm -hmm. that, that place of fear to that place of action. Um, mm -hmm. But I would just encourage you to, to do it, to read through some of the success stories that we have um, on our website. That's another thing, uh, our Harriet Tubman winners read through uh, these real life cases of truck drivers, of truck stop attendants, of bus drivers um, that have been in the right place at the right time and been able to take that second look and make a call that has resulted in somebody being recovered out of the life of trafficking. Right, right. You just know when something isn't right, right? You can yeah. look at a situation and say, well, gosh, it, it may not be trafficking, but there's just something that's not quite right about that situation. Mm. I would encourage you to make a call um, because, you know, as one of our, our Harriet Tubman award winners, Kevin Kimmel, he's featured in one of our, uh, one of our videos. He, you know, was later asked by um, a news reporter, you know, well, how did you know you were right? And he basically said, I didn't. I mean, I saw some red flags and I was pretty sure I was right, but then I thought about it. And if it was my daughter or my son, I would want somebody to call and just be sure if they were wrong, it would have inconvenienced me. Like if the, if the role was reversed and it was him with his daughter um, and somebody called in and said they suspected trafficking for whatever reason, um, he said, you know, truly, I would rather that person have called and been looking out for my daughter and for us to have been inconvenienced while the police came and checked it out, then for somebody just to sit on their hands and say, oh, well, 
it looks really off. It, it doesn't feel right. My right. The hairs on the back of my neck are, are standing <laughs> up, but I'm not going to call because I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to get involved. And I think it is that it is that spot of just being willing to act and mm-hmm. being a little bit uncomfortable, but saying, you know, no, I see one, two, three red flags or whatever. Um, I'm really going to make a call and this is why. Yeah. Don't be afraid to, to make that call. Yeah. You might save a child or a, a person's life. Yes, yes. absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, was there anything else you would like to share with us? You know, um, let we me can help you with <laughs> look at my notes. No, I yeah. think, I think just, just a reminder to drivers out there. I mean, you guys are doing so much, especially now, mm-hmm. I, you know, I had no previous, um, experience with the transportation industry prior to starting with TAT, mm-hmm. um, my brother is now a truck driver. So shout out to my brother for <laughs> becoming a truck driver. Thank you. Um, but it is, you know, it's, it's a, um, such a necessary part of our world that most people right. don't even think about. I just want to say, first of all, thank you for doing what you do. Absolutely. And then just to encourage you, like you guys really are, um, the eyes and ears of our nation's highways and our roadways. You have the opportunity to see this crime. And I would just encourage you, if you haven't had a chance, um, I know rail was, uh, educating, um, I know you, you guys have implemented the TAT right. training in the mm-hmm. past. I'm not sure if every new driver still, uh, has we, to go through that we training. Yeah. yeah we, okay. Absolutely. So you have, you start there, download that TAT app, um, feel free to jump on our website and watch any of the other number of training videos that we have available. Um, and just be willing to make that call because at the end of the day, I mean, like we've already said a lot of times here, it really could help to, to change or save somebody's life. So, um, yeah, I just, yeah, there's a lot of good information. I I checked out a whole bunch of stuff you had on your, your site when I looked you up and there's a lot of very good information on there. Well, we, uh, I guess we'll, we'll cut it short there and, uh, we really appreciate your time and we'd love to have you on some other time. If you have anything else to share. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we could, we could talk a lot. I'm sure on a number, we could have gone down a number of different rabbit trails. So thank you all for being great supporters of TAT. Thank you for what you do. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time. Yeah.